All right, church, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Acts chapter 2. So go with me there in your scriptures, and we'll get there in a little while. Um, I do have some a little bit before that. Well, let's start out uh, by asking the Lord to help us with this message and with uh, receiving from the text what the Lord would have us receive. God, we ask for your leading here. Oh, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us into everything true, reminding us of everything that Jesus commanded, God. And pray that we stay true to your word. Lord, use me as your mouthpiece, as your microphone, Lord, to say the things you want me to say, Lord. In Jesus' name, help us to take in what you teach us through this text, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, this week, today... We'll start a two-part series on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. It'll be this weekend and next weekend. And why Pentecost and the Holy Spirit? Well, because Pentecost, uh, that's what we're celebrating today or what we are honoring today in remembrance of what happened uh, a little over 2,000 years ago now um, in, uh, as the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and he came in power in Acts chapter 2 and blessed the uh, disciples with his presence forever. And so Pentecost is a moment in time. It is a day in the life of God. It is a work of God that would last for eternity. So what is Pentecost? Pentecost is a moment in time. Pentecost is a moment in time. It is a day in the life of God. It is a work of God that would last for eternity. Now, Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and gave them the very real and very present power of God to be with them forever. Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit came to dwell among believers and fulfill the promise of Jesus Christ for all those who placed their faith in him. And this power that believers have is not just a working power, not just a miraculous power. It's not like all of a sudden we are just given power with no presence. This power that we have in the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The power that we have is the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is the day that God, the Holy Spirit, came to live within his people. And because of the power of God and his promise for his people, there would be a new temple now, not a temple made with hands, that God would live in here on the earth. Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 17 tell us that God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. It teaches us this truth because it's, it's, it's time, at that moment in time, as Acts is developing out, right, in the first century, that time is time that people separate God from the things that they can make. And also the time is now for us also to separate God from the things that he can make or the things that we can make i'm sorry from the things that we can make it's like saying that god lives in my necklace because it's a christian necklace or it's a cross necklace or it's a, a necklace with jesus's face on it it's like saying that god lives in that necklace that's not true god does not dwell in things that are made by human hands acts chapter 7 acts chapter 17 say this he dwells in heaven the jewish people needed to hear this and so did the pagans. 
Because the pagans erected temples of their own and dedicated them to the, idol, uh, to the idols that they worshipped and to idol worship of their false gods. And we need to know that we cannot put God in a box. This is one of the beautiful freeing things for us as believers is not to put God in a box and that we wouldn't put God in a box. We should not ever try to put God in a box or hide him behind walls or say that he's here but he's not over there. We don't have ownership or control over God's dwelling place. He dwells where he wills to dwell. He lives where he wills to live. It's his decision, his choice, and more importantly, he is glorified through it. And he gets all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. This was, set, uh, this was to set the record straight for the people so that this truth could be taught of the grace of God to save God's people from the penalty of their own sin. And by saving them from sin, the people would be protected by God from falling away. And how would they be protected? The indwelling Holy Spirit, who the Bible tells us is, uh, seals us forever and is a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, our first scripture reference is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So to the praise of the glory of God, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and we are guaranteed an inheritance. Why? Because we're so good? No, because God is so good. And because it glorifies him. It glorifies him to keep those whom he's called and who have trusted in him. To hold on to those forever who have placed their faith in him. God does not live in an earthly temple made by human hands. He dwells in a place that he made in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? I want to say that again. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is not just a text, a cutout for the people of that time. That's not also for the people of this time. This is a, a text that is for the people of that time, for the people of this time, for the people of the time in between, for the people of the time after this. We are God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If we take that text and say, oh, we are not our own, we don't belong to ourselves the way we thought we did in the world when we were outside of Christ and, and outside of his goodness, outside of his glory because we didn't believe in him yet. Maybe we belong to ourselves then, but not really. But now as we are in Christ, we should know that we do not belong to ourselves. We are not our own because we have been bought with a price. Anybody know what that price was? That was the cross, wasn't it? Death on the cross. The righteous blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins for all those who would place their faith in him. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I want you to read, listen to that and read it and see it in your mind. We don't have any agreement with the world about morality, about who God is, about what love really is. We don't have an agreement with the world there. Because their ideals are not God's ideals. Because they don't love what God loves. And why not? Because they don't love God. We don't have agreement with the world. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So then we, being the temple of the living God, have no agreement with idols. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will make. He says, I will make. Not I can make. Not maybe I can make. Not it could happen. I will, he says. I will make. It's definitive. It will happen. And it has happened, hasn't it? We know that because of what happened at Pentecost, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. Think about that, that God walks among us and I will be their God. He has taken ownership over you. The way that I could buy a house and say, that's going to be my house. The way we could have children and say, those will be my children. God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Amazing. And we have a God that loves us to this degree. And why does he love us? Because it brings him most glory. Because we need to remember first and foremost, above it all, that God is for God. God is for you. But God is for you because he's for himself. And God being for himself is the greatest glory that we could ever know because we know that God is perfect. He is love, as 1 John 4 tells us. And because he is love and he is all love and love emanates from his presence, it comes out of him. We know that God's ideals are the ideals that we need. And that God bringing himself the most glory is the most beautiful place for the Christian. What's more is that Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 that the lives of the people are their letters, the apostles' letters, the Paul's letters of recommendation because of what God has done in their hearts. So Paul's saying, because of what God's done in your hearts, you are my letter of recommendation. So if anybody's asking what's happened, how good is Paul, who is he, is he preaching the right message, you can show them by your life. Because your life is my letter of recommendation. This is what Paul's saying. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, 3 through 6, he says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. On verse 3 again, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us. I want you to recognize there that Paul is saying, I am not personally, privately, individually responsible for your upbringing. It's actually God who does that. So what Paul is saying is, I don't deserve the credit, but I know the one who does. Because he is glorious. And he is beautiful. Again, verse 3, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets 
of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not by the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the word used for temple here is the word for the holy of holies in the temple. Not just the general temple building. Not just the walls, the the brick and mortar, so to speak, we'd say now. It's the holy of holies, the place that only the high priest could enter once a year to offer sacrifices on the day of atonement. Only one person could enter. This is the temple that God is talking about that we now have become. The holy of holies. That's deep, y'all. That is incredible truth. He's literally saying that the holy of holies is now with the people of God. The temple of the olden days would no longer house the holy of holies, would no longer be separated from the people of God by the giant curtain in the temple. What happened to that curtain? Anybody know? It was torn from top to bottom, ridiculously thick, impossible to tear by human hands, especially from top to bottom. God did that. At the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the temple was torn, the veil was torn, as we say, and we now had no separation between God and man. He would no longer hover, God would no longer hover his presence in a glory cloud over the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. God would now be with his people living within them to guide them, to direct them, to lead them into their lives in the kingdom of God. And now these people, who are these people? Have we seen these people? Who are the people of God? It's all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. You are that temple, church. You are that glorious holy of holies. That's you. That's what God has designed you to be. That's what he's made for you and made you to be. And we would do well to say and to believe that Pentecost is one of the greatest days in all of human history. From that moment on, the entire ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, as the text says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. And now let's read about exactly what happened. Let's go into Acts chapter 2. And um, go from verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at 
this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. Hmm. Now at this time, we see and read about the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus Christ to send the Holy Spirit to baptize people with himself. Baptizing them not with water, but with himself, with the Holy Spirit. And here is one account of his promise to send the Spirit from Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is what Jesus said. Now, who is he talking to? Disciples. Disciples. He's talking to those who followed him, who stayed with him. Those he revealed himself to after the resurrection. Those he walked with and taught for the next 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Before he ascends, he says this. Again, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And think for a moment of the baptism of John. Think about that for a moment. John baptized with water. Water baptism. The word, right, baptism. We read in the original language. It means to be immersed in water. Right? Fully immersed, submerged, covered over completely. Flooded with water. Now think of being baptized and and what that meant, right? Now baptism is interesting because we know that about the immersion, about the covering over of water, and that signifies the cleansing of God on your soul, right? And we need to be cleansed by God, but God does that through the Holy Spirit, and the water baptism is a symbol of that. Now we know that here in the Christian church, so being baptized with the water is to be fully immersed again as a symbol of what's done internally and spiritually by God. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit... If that's what baptism means in terms of water, then what of the Holy Spirit's baptism? It's being fully immersed in God. Not flooded with water, but with the presence of Almighty God. Flooded. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is being fully immersed in God. Him fully covering you over head to toe in the presence of God to cleanse you for eternity. Now water baptism for the Christian is a symbol of what's happened in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We are now signifying to the world with our water baptism that we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and that his presence now lives in us. 
Now, in water baptism, once you get into the water and you have it cover you, uh, you get wet, right? Wet, eventually you dry off, right? Maybe take a couple hours, depends on what kind of towel you got, how wet that towel is, right? It depends on where you're at. If you're at the beach, you're in a, you know, in the baptistry. If you're, I've baptized, when I was living in Centerpoint, I baptized people in the creek behind my house. I baptized them in the Guadalupe River in Centerpoint and in, uh, I believe in, in Kerrville as well. And then, um... I also baptized, no, I didn't, just in Guadalupe, uh, the Guadalupe River in Center Point, and then I also baptized people in the bathtub in my house, okay? I baptized people wherever I could get them under some water. That's where I did it. It didn't matter where it was, we could do it right here. There's a puddle outside, let's go and roll around in it if you give your life to Jesus, right? You're going to get dirty, but let me tell you something, you're clean forever, baby, right? You get dry, though, you can dry off. After the water baptism, you dry off. Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit's baptism. Once you're fully immersed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, you never dry off. It lasts forever. And that's how it's different. It's not just a baptism of water. It's a baptism of the Spirit. It's the presence of God with the believer forever. It covers you. It lasts forever. Jesus promised the disciples that the Spirit would come, and he did. He fell on them and gave them power immediately. It wasn't like, you know, they're waiting around after the Holy Spirit fell to be like, I mean, I don't, I don't, what are we supposed to do now? Immediately they started speaking in other languages as he gave them utterance to speak. He fell on them. He gave them power. They began speaking in these tongues that were understandable to everyone. And that's important. There were people from everywhere around there who spoke different languages. And the disciples were speaking their language. Think about what that means. It'd be like if I started speaking French right now. And there was a person from France said, you're speaking my language. And I'd be like, I don't know how I'm doing it, but I am. I don't know no French, though. No fridge here. It's important to point this out because it was not just an utterance. It was actual languages. Intelligible languages that people could understand. They needed this. Why? Because they needed to know that the power of God is real power. Real power. And it's significant as well because of what God did back in Genesis 11. And I want to read some of that. Anybody remember what happened in Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel. They had come from all over. Genesis 11, they were building a city and a tower that they wanted. They wanted to reach into the heavens. Come, let us build a city and a tower erected into the heavens. Right? Lest we be dispersed. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted glory. Pridefully, they were trying to build into the heavens to be known to make a name for themselves this is for themselves this is how arrogant and prideful they were and so god knowing their hearts looked down on their city and their tower and this happened i always thought that was interesting isn't it that as high as they thought their tower was god looked down on their tower he's higher he's lifted up he's glorious genesis 11 verse 6 and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down 
and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. God sidelined their work. Their work was for their glory. God sidelined it, confused them, didn't allow them to continue on in their work because their work was for themselves, their own glory. In a nutshell, they were confused and scattered by God because of their own pride and sinfulness. Because God doesn't only cause them to be confused and differentiate their languages from that point on, he also scatters them, he disperses them over the earth. This is what they didn't want. They said, lest we be dispersed, let us build a city and a tower. And God said, see ya. Ain't no more going on over here. But when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples at Pentecost, all of a sudden men from Galilee were able to speak languages to people from other nations and tongues. The significance is, that in, the, is in the fact that the same God who had the power to scatter them and to confuse their languages in Genesis chapter 11, is the only one who could have the power now to gather people from every nation from all over. Now have them understand one another because of their faithfulness. Pride and selfishness causes them to scatter and be confused. Faithfulness and togetherness causes God, to His Holy Spirit to fall and for them to now understand one another and to regather. Think about that. In one setting, we have disobedience and punishment, Genesis 11. In this new instance, Acts 2, we have faithfulness and the blessing of God. Amazing. We need to know that God is for God. As I said before, God is for God. He is most glorified by sending his son into a world that despised and rejected him a world that he created for his own glory. He is for you, but ultimately God is for God. Again, God is for God. This is why he's for you, because it brings him most glory to save sinners from damnation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is most glorified by saving his people from the midst of trouble in the world by calling them out of that world spiritually to be with him forever. He is most glorified by leading you into all the truth by searing your conscience one sin at a time. Letting you know that you've slipped up when you do. How does he do this? He does this through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, living within the new temple of the Holy Spirit, which is the believer. He is most glorified by forgiving those sins so that you could praise him forever because of the forgiveness that you've received. He is most glorified by letting you know that once you're his, you never will belong to the world or the enemy ever again. Once you are his, you are his and you're his forever. He is most glorified by you knowing the truth about who he is and what he's done historically. And then also he's most glorified by letting you know what he's going to do in the future and why you have a hope in glory. He's most glorified by calling you to love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything you are, he's most glorified by calling you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who is my neighbor, we might ask. Everyone is our neighbor. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody segregated from neighborhoods with me. We cannot do that. 
love your neighbor. He's most glorified by saying, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He is most glorified when you turn the other cheek, when you leave vengeance up to him and don't try and seek your own. He is most glorified when you forgive others as you have been forgiven. Christian, as you've been forgiven, forgive. It is the most loving thing that you could do. You are never more godly than when you are forgiving. He is most glorified when you see good for good and evil for evil. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God of all creation, the one who breathes into our nostrils the breath of life to give us life. This is our God. And how does he do all this? And how do we respond to his love and his glory? How are we even able to do anything good? How can I possibly respond to all that love? The Holy Spirit. That's how. The Holy Spirit, the one dwelling within you, if you believe in Christ, that's how we do it. God leads us into that. And the beginning of the church, which operated in power for everyone from all over to see, began with the power that fell at Pentecost. Though God saw the wickedness of man in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel, and confused their languages and scattered them all over the earth. He has gathered us together and given us the power to understand one another on a completely new level. He does this through the power of the Holy Spirit, languages at Pentecost, and in the Spirit now we understand one another. I understand the plight and the failures and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God I understand these things. Again, the failures and forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God. The failures of man, the forgiveness of God, the mercy and the grace of God. I understand all these things because they are the new language of the Christian. We speak forgiveness. We speak mercy. We speak grace. We speak love. How do we do this from a heart filled with these things? How is our heart filled with these things? The Holy Spirit. When did that start? Pentecost. Pentecost will remain one of the most significant moments in all of human history when God gave people power. And that power wasn't witchcraft or sorcery, wasn't tied and bound to this world, but was a power from heaven. Power directly from God to be with God so that we could understand God and be one with God. And that we could love God together with God and with our neighbors. The power of God, the Holy Spirit. They understood languages at Pentecost, and in the Spirit now we understand and have a new language. The language of forgiveness and mercy and the grace of God. All founded in the love of God. I can do more than understand them, this language of the new Christian, because I am one with you now. And being one, we understand how... Again, the Holy Spirit who fell on the disciples at Pentecost and through faith in Jesus Christ, he will fall on you. He will fall on you. Let's pray.
Lord God, we love you. Lord God, we need you, Lord. Your presence with us, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, your power in us to lead us into all truth, to guide us, Lord, to bring to remembrance all those things that Jesus has commanded to us. God, help us remember, Lord, sear our consciences of the sin present in our lives that we might confess that sin to you, God, and ask for your forgiveness, God. And then now also not ask only for your forgiveness, but experience the forgiveness that you've given us because of your great grace. God, be merciful to your children, Lord. We are yours, Lord. We have been adopted by you, Lord. Lord, forgive us, Lord, and help us to be forgiving. Lord, as you love us, help us to love and to know what love really is. Help us to be merciful, Lord, to extend mercy, to live in mercy, to speak merciful words, Lord, and to speak forgiving words, Lord, from a forgiving heart, Lord, and to have grace for everyone the way that you have grace. God, we're asking you to make us like you. God, we need you. We can't do this on our own, God. Our country's at war with one another, Lord. We need you, God. Intervene for us, oh God. By your power, Lord, lead us. Lord, we hear all these people talking about, oh, we need to listen. We need to listen. We need to have conversations. We need to listen. Lord, the time is not for listening. The time is for action. We should have been listening. Where have we been if we haven't been listening? If you still need to listen, you've lost. The time is to act. God, help us to act on behalf of you. In power, Lord, the Holy Spirit's power, your power, Jesus. Help us, Lord, live through us. Help us to be your hands and feet, your mouthpieces to the world, Lord. To stand for grace and truth and forgiveness and the mercy of God. Help us to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.